Is there anything in your life that just seems impossible to do or to change or to overcome? This podcast is about helping people discover that a lot more really is possible for all of us than we think. Welcome to the very first episode of the Astound Yourself podcast. I'm your host, Sally Saxon. Today, instead of interviewing a guest, I'm going to share a little bit more about the kinds of topics we'll be discussing every week, uh, why I started this podcast, a little bit about who I am and my background, and if you want to know how I went from not even being able to walk more than 100 yards at a time to finishing more than 100 half marathons plus 10 full marathons in my 60s in six years time, then stay tuned. You know, the theme of this podcast, as many of you already know, is based on a quote attributed to Thomas Edison. If we did all the things we're capable of, we would literally astound ourselves. And there's an important uh, purpose and power of challenges in our lives, you know, both those that we choose to take on as well as those unwelcome ones that just show up that we'd rather not have to deal with. So every week I'll be interviewing guests who have powerful stories of you know, how they overcame huge obstacles or challenges or people who accomplished some incredible goals or did amazing things or miracles that God is doing all over the world today that have transformed people's lives. And a lot of people aren't even aware that this is all going on. You know, other guests uh, might share with us some very important information about what's going on in the world that we aren't even aware of, but it's affecting our lives in major ways. You know, many of us will be astounded, I think, when we discover that many things are not at all as they appear to be and how easily we can be deceived and then how that deception can affect our lives. And some guests might help you discover a key that unlocks a new possibility for you uh, simply by learning even just one critical piece of information, you know, as you'll hear in my own running story in the last half of today's episode. So I'm also planning to have some guests who can tell us about the fascinating science behind what's really possible. Uh, I love this topic. And you don't have to be a scientist to understand these things. You know, what I'm talking about here is the science behind how God created the human brain to work and how he created the universe to work, as well as how he designed life to work. And if we understand just some of these basic principles and keys that relate to what's really possible, it can really be a game changer for us. Uh, did you know that experts have discovered that how the brain works all lines up with God's precepts in the Bible? Dr. Caroline Leaf, for example, is a well-known brain researcher who talks about how this discovery has really been a revolution in the field of brain science. Um, as many of you know, the Bible says that all things are possible with God and that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But for the vast majority of people, there is a big gap between our personal experience and what God is saying is possible. So that means either the Bible is not what it purports to be, and those statements are just not true, or we're missing something. And whatever we're missing are the keys that will unlock those possibilities of things that currently seem impossible for us. In other words, uh, how is it possible that all things are possible? Or what don't we know that we don't know we don't know? So experts in brain science explain uh, not only that how the brain works affects what shows up in our lives and the outcomes and the results we get, 
it also shows us that we have more power and control than we think we do over what shows up in our lives and what we can accomplish. And that's one of the things that's so fascinating to me. You know, many of you are probably familiar with Napoleon Hill, who's the author of the best-selling business book called Think and Grow Rich. But that book is not just about financial riches. It's also about being rich in other areas of our life as well. But one famous statement that he made that has literally changed countless thousands of, of people's lives is whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe, it can achieve. Well, is that really true? You know, what does the evidence show? And by the way, I'm a former attorney, so I want to see evidence, you know, solid, credible evidence. So I want to bring on some experts uh, on this show who can tell us about the evidence behind that kind of statement and why so many people have experienced it to be true. And, you know, the Bible taught <clears throat> that uh, according to our faith, it will be done to us or we get what our faith expects. So what role do beliefs and the thoughts we choose to think about play in what is possible for us and what happens in our lives? Those are the kinds of issues that, you know, I want to discuss. And then there are other key principles which deal with how God created the universe to work and what's going on in a whole different dimension of reality, you know, smaller than an atom. You know, again, you don't need to be a scientist to understand these things. But this is a fascinating topic, even for non-scientists, and it holds some important keys that I think help us understand how it's possible for all things to be possible. And there are also some general principles that could be called like laws of life and that uh, also come from God that provide other keys as to what is possible for us. You know, principles like we reap what we sow in life. So then we have to look at well, what kinds of seeds are we sowing in our life that may be affecting what's possible for us? So some of our guests will be talking about how God made our brains to work or how he made the universe to work or how he created life to work that can make possible for us what now seems impossible. There are two main reasons why I started this podcast. And the first is that I just really hate to see people settle for so much less in life than is available to them and what is actually possible for them. You know, all of us have areas in our life, I think, which um, where we've settled for much less. And I know I, I do, and this is a lifelong process uh, of growing, and hopefully we continue growing and developing our potential in some area. But how long are we willing to tolerate settling for less in any given area of our lives, you know, once we know that much more is possible? And there's a great quote by C.S. Lewis that I read many years ago, probably back in the 80s or so, that speaks to this issue. Uh, he said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I've never forgotten that statement, even though it's been a few decades or so ago that I first heard it. Because a lot of people settle for just being average, and partly because they don't know that something greater is available and possible. But God created us all to be excellent at something, you know, even if it's being the best employee at the place we work, 
or being great at being able to comfort people who are broken and hurting, you know, we're not all called to be rocket scientists or engineers or the president of the United States or things like that. But the second reason I started this podcast is why I hate to see people settle for so little in life when so much more is possible. And that has to do with the consequences of settling for so little, not just how it affects our lives ourselves, but also how it affects others, you know, our families, friends, and even the world, and the greater difference in other people's lives that we could be making. You know, what do we deprive them or the world of when we settle for much less than our greatest potential? You know, those are questions that go around in my mind. You know, or if we stop offering our talents and gifts and skills because we think we're too old or it's too late to make much of a difference, or maybe we're just focused more on our own comforts. In other words, uh, selling for much less than we're capable of really um, limits our impact in the world and it limits the difference we can make in other people's lives. Uh, there is a great quote by Mahatma Gandhi, who was the great leader in India you know, several decades ago. But he once said, the difference between what we do and what we're capable of doing would suffice to solve most of the world's problems. Wow, that really impacted me when I read that. Well, there are so many problems in the world right now that are just you know, crying out for people to show up and become part of the solution. And so we should never underestimate the significance of you know, what we have to offer the world regardless of our age or circumstances, you know, who might be waiting for you to show up to be part of the solution to their problem or a need that they have? Or what if the person who could and should be showing up to help you solve a problem or meet one of your needs has chosen not to show up for you? you know, and I want to say something now, just for those whose lives have really been devastated um, in the last few years, especially you know, due to COVID or serious injury from the shots. And, you know, I understand how it's a tremendous struggle just for many of you just to get through each day. And that, you know, just thinking about the things I've just talked about may seem overwhelming. So many people have experienced, you know, such great trauma these past few years, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, financial, relational, or otherwise. But I want to encourage you that there is real hope for you, not just wishful thinking hope, but real hope to overcome your current circumstances. You know, just try to focus on overcoming, you know, just one small thing right now. Like what very small thing would you like to be able to do that you cannot currently do? And for baby boomers, you are not too old. You know, I'm one of you. And did you know that many people didn't actually make their biggest impact or contribution to the world uh, until their later years, like in their 60s or 70s or even older? You know, there are plenty of things uh, for all of us to be upset or angry about what's going on in the world today that seem impossible to change. But what if we turned our righteous anger into positive, constructive action? and applied what we can learn from this podcast to make a difference in some way on some issue. What I hope you'll get from this podcast is not just motivation and inspiration, but also to be empowered you know, with keys and nuggets and how to do certain things, because there are certain steps and a certain process 
that really are common to all kinds of challenges that we face. And most of it has uh, to do with our mindset, you know, how and what we think and believe. There's a, a quote attributed to Henry Ford, whether rightly or wrongly, so I'm told, it's, if you think you can or think you cannot, you're right. So which way are you thinking? Now, before sharing my running story, I want to tell you just a little bit about who I am and my background so you know who it is you're listening to. As I said earlier, I'm a former attorney and also an author, speaker, and coach. I went to law school in uh, uh, downtown Chicago at Northwestern University, and after graduation, I moved to Seattle, Washington, where I worked for several years for the biggest law firm there in the litigation department. And I was doing mostly behind the scenes work, like research and writing long legal analyses and legal briefs on some big corporate contract cases. But I burned out at that job. So I left there, took some time off, and then um, started my own firm. And I was focusing on real estate related matters. But after a few years, I burned out on that too. And I think I hadn't really fully recovered from the previous burnout. But in any event, I just needed to do something different for a while at that point in my life, but I had no idea what that might be. I only knew that I couldn't continue um, doing what I was doing. So to make a longer story short, uh, I ended up going to China to teach English for a year. And when I came back, I served as the executive director of a legal foundation, then based in Seattle for almost two years. And then I decided to go back to China to teach English and was there for another three years. And also during that time, I studied Chinese language. Well, talk about impossible. I mean, that, that's how I felt when I first started studying Chinese. Like, how can a native English speaker possibly learn a language like Chinese, especially as an adult? But the more I studied it, the less impossible and less difficult it became which I think is one of the secrets you know, to making something that seems impossible actually possible. Just start and take one step at a time because often it's not as difficult as we think or it becomes easier as we go. So after China, I did a variety of things, including some legal work for various nonprofits, but probably the most relevant things are related to some teaching I did on various subjects. You know, some were related to like life purpose, you know, helping people identify uh, the purpose for which God created them specifically, and then developing and implementing a vision for some kind of goal that, you know, flowed out of their purpose, you know, something that was in their heart to do. I also taught a class called Astound Yourself, which was about, you know, the topics that this podcast is about. And later, I offered some five-day or seven-day challenges called Refire and Dream Again for women over 50, as well as one called the Astound Yourself Challenge, uh, which were all followed by a short-term coaching program uh, for those who are interested. And also a few years um, ago, I wrote a book, which I'm still in the process of expanding and updating right now, called Globalists on Trial, uh, The Hidden Agenda to Destroy America from Within. But as I was in that process last year, I unexpectedly took a detour, which ended in writing a different book uh, in collaboration with two medical doctors who are both very involved in the medical freedom uh, cause. Uh, 
And the book is called The COVID-19 Vaccines and Beyond, What the Medical Industrial Complex is Not Telling Us. And there are various astound yourself moments surrounding that book, but I won't talk about those in this episode since I hope to interview my two doctors in a different episode, and we can talk more about those moments then. But in the meantime, I'll uh, put that book in the show notes so those who are interested can find out more about it and and where to find the book. So I'd like to um, wrap up today's episode with the story I mentioned at the beginning about how I went from not even being able to walk more than 100 yards at a time to finishing over 100 half marathons plus 10 full marathons all while in my 60s. So I'm going to share some uh, details of certain you know, parts of the story because there's some real nuggets in those details that I think you know might be a big help to a lot of people. So when I was in my late 50s, the reason I had such trouble walking was because of what eventually was diagnosed as an arthritic joint in just one toe, but it was very painful and incapacitating. And then one day I was reading one of those natural health care books in hope of finding a solution for a different problem. Uh, when I came across a story about a guy uh, who had a similar problem as mine, but he was in even worse shape than I was. I mean, he could hardly walk at all. I mean, at least I could walk about 100 yards at a time. So he was explaining how he had taken a certain brand of bee pollen capsules, and then within two weeks, he was walking normally. So I wondered if those bee pollen capsules might have a similar result for me. So I went online and ordered that same exact brand of capsules. I mean, they were really inexpensive, only about $10 or so for a bottle of 60 capsules, I think. So I really didn't have anything to lose by trying. And I still remember, you know, the day the bee pollen capsules arrived. I took one capsule, waited about an hour, and then uh, went out for a walk. And when I got to the place about 100 yards out, where I usually have to turn around and limp home from the pain, I was amazed that my foot didn't hurt as it had for quite a while up to that day. So I just kept going and uh, a lot farther than 100 yards. And, and that really amazed me that just one capsule like that could have that much of an effect and work so quickly on top of it all. So the next day I did the same thing. One capsule, went out for a walk, and I went even further than the previous day. And that astounded me also. And then the next day, one more capsule, went out for a walk. And as you might guess, I was able to go even further than the previous day and so on day after day, you know, after day. So um, one nugget here uh, is that sometimes, and actually much more often than we think, I, I believe, there's a solution for a health problem or even other kinds of problems that is actually something much simpler and easier and expensive than we're aware of. You know, we, we just have to be open to looking at different kinds of possibilities than we're used to considering. And I was feeling so much relief from those bee pollen capsules that I started incorporating some jogging into my daily walk. And I was living in the Atlanta area at the time, and there's an annual 10K, 10-kilometer 10 race there called the Peachtree Road Race. You know, it was, at least back then, it was the world's biggest 10K race, which is about 6.2 miles. And it's held every year on the 4th of July. 
And now that I had overcome the worst of my foot problems, I decided to challenge myself to do that 10K race. Now, I'd never run that far at one time in my life. You know, the only problem then was I couldn't run 10K or even six miles without taking a lot of walk breaks. At first, I couldn't even do six miles with walk breaks, you know, especially when I moved from Atlanta to Florida a few months before the race, because it was even hotter, you know, down here, which made training all the more difficult. But for me, uh, this 10K race was going to be just a one-off thing. You know, run the race, get the t-shirt, literally. And that would be both the beginning and the end of my road race career. You know, I just wanted to prove myself that I could do it. You know, I didn't have any greater running aspirations or goals. It, it was just the challenge of, of running that one race. And so the day before the race, uh, there was a health and fitness expo featuring vendors with all kinds of running related things. But just to show you how uh, circumstances and opportunities that you're not even looking for can change your life. Here's what happened. One of the vendors was Jeff Galloway, whom at that point I'd never heard of before because I was not in the larger running community space uh, at that time. But I found out that Jeff is a former Olympic long distance runner who coaches runners all over the country. And I noticed that he had a lot of books on his table about long distance running, you know, mainly about half marathons and full marathons. Well, because I had never even thought about or aspired to run any distance longer than that 10K race I was there for, there was nothing in my mind or experience that suggested I could run a half marathon, you know, much less a full marathon, you know, even if I wanted to. And by the way, uh, for those who aren't familiar with these races, a half marathon is 13.1 miles, a little more than twice the distance of the 10K race. And a full marathon is 26.2 miles. Besides, I was almost 60 years old. So in my mind, I was too old even to attempt such a race. So I left Jeff's uh, booth without even talking to him. But a few minutes later, you know how you get those little voices in your head that tell you to do this, do that, go here, go there? Well, a little voice in my head gently kind of whispered to go back to Jeff's table and talk with him. So I'm thinking, well, why should I do that? You know, I'm not even interested in what he's offering. But I went back anyway. And uh, I introduced myself and told him something like, you know, this 10K race was the first race I'd ever done. And wouldn't you know? As I recall, his response was, well, you could do even a half marathon or a full marathon. Well, I was really surprised and said, like, no way. You know, I can't even run 10K without taking a lot of walk breaks. And besides, you know, I'm too old. But he said, no, you can do it. I've coached a lot of runners your age and, and older, you know, who successfully run a half marathon or a full marathon, and you could do it too. Now, remember, this was a complete stranger telling me I could do something that I never had any thought of ever doing, nor had any confidence that I could. I mean, he didn't know me. He didn't know my story. Uh, he didn't know my circumstances. But that didn't matter because he was an expert in his field. And I guess the fact that I had shown up at my age to do a 10K race showed him something about me that I couldn't see. So within the space of just a few minutes, he started drawing me out of my comfort zone into a world of greater possibilities 
that would ultimately change my life. As for my objection that I couldn't even do a 10K race without taking a lot of walk breaks, he said, oh, well, that's perfect, you know, because my training program includes a lot of walk intervals. In fact, it's run, walk, run, walk. Oh, my, who knew that? I certainly didn't know that, that that was actually a running program or a training program or a racing strategy that an Olympic uh, runner had developed for his coaching and even in his own running. I, mean, I assume that you had to work up to being able to run the whole distance continuously without walking any part of it. So that was one little piece of information that had a uh, disproportionately huge impact on me. You know, like the small hinge that opens a big door. And I often look back on that uh, occasion and wonder how different my life would have been without that one little piece of information and Jeff's confidence that I could do a half or full marathon if I simply did the training the way he suggested. In fact, he said that in his experience of coaching long distance runners and even in his own running, uh, those who do regular short walk intervals can actually finish the race with a faster time than those who don't. Unless I suppose you're one of the, the top elites in the 0.0001% of, of all runners. But as if that weren't enough, then he told me that he was going to be holding a weekend running a retreat a few weeks later where I could learn a lot about getting started in training for a half marathon. Well, when he told me where it would be held, it was very difficult for me to say no, because wouldn't you know, the retreat was going to be held at a beach house in Florida, literally only a few miles from where I had moved to a few months earlier. So that eliminated one big excuse I had. Little did I know, you know, that God was setting me up for something much bigger than I had dared to dream. So I went to that retreat. And one of the things that Jeff encouraged us all to do was, you know, to set a running goal. He said, some runners set a goal of running a certain distance, like a marathon, and others set a time goal, like running a marathon in less than three hours, while others set a goal of like running a half marathon or full marathon in all 50 states. And as soon as he mentioned running a race in all 50 states, something went off inside of me. You know, for some reason, that idea just really resonated with me even though I didn't know if I could even do one half marathon, much less 50. And, but that, that seed of doing a half marathon in all 50 states was planted in my spirit. And I knew, I just knew that's what I wanted to try. And I wasn't even thinking about how much time or money it was going to take to complete that goal. And, you know, most of the races were going to require a plane ticket plus car rental, hotels, you know, et cetera. So that was also a financial challenge uh, as well as the physical challenge. But following Jeff's training program, you know, the earliest that I would be able to do my first half marathon was three months later. Um, however, as things turned out, during my training, I had two or three setbacks due to what are called um, overuse injuries, you know, meaning that I had tried to do too much too soon. So I had to take some time off and then start my training all over again. And that delayed my first race until about eight months after I first started training. But I kept coming back after every setback and I, I didn't quit. 
I finally uh, was able to do my second race several weeks later, but I ended up with another injury that sent me back again. And I wasn't able to do my third race until about 13 months after I had first started training. Now, if you do the math, from the time I started training to a year later, I had only done two races. And at that rate, it was going to take me way too long to finish all 50 states, seeing as how I was already, you know, 60 years old. So I had to really step up the pace. Now, from that point on, I still had occasional setbacks to fight through. But generally, after a few more races, I, I kind of finally started to get the hang of it and started gaining momentum and learned more about how to avoid or minimize the injuries that cause more setbacks. So here's what I end up doing. Remember that I started from not even being able to walk more than 50 to 100 yards at a time. Well, I finished my 50 state half marathon goal in three years time and a total of more than 100 half marathons plus the 10 full marathons you know, over the next three years. And several times I ran two half marathons in two different states in one weekend. And one time I even did three half marathons in three different states in three consecutive days. And yet another time I ran five half marathons in five different states in five consecutive days. Now, my time was not super fast, I can tell you that, but I finished the races. And uh, there were some uh, races, especially full marathon ones, that I really had to struggle to finish. You know, like the Chicago Marathon, when my lower back started hurting at mile six, and I still had 20 miles to go. It's like, how did I find the strength to not quit? And I always finished every race that I started because I had already decided that quitting or not finishing was not an option, you know, so long as I never had to be carried off on a stretcher. But the pain just forced me to dig deeper within myself and find the resilience and the perseverance and the determination I needed to keep going. So that whole experience definitely astounded me in various ways. And it really was a life-changing experience that had a direct impact on what I'm doing today. Even though what I'm doing now is totally unrelated to running, except how it changed me and the life lessons that I learned you know, from that whole uh, running journey. So I'll be sharing some of those life lessons in future episodes, like you know how to get over the I don't feel like training today mentality or the lesson of the foam roller about how we aren't even aware of problems often, you know, unless and until pressure is applied in just the right spot or how we can overcome setbacks or push through a task, you know, to the end when you're in a lot of pain and various other lessons like that. So that's all for the first episode. Thanks so much for listening. Um, please check out the uh, show notes for how to contact me, links to the video versions of future interviews uh, and my book. And I invite you to listen, subscribe, follow, leave a review or comment and share the podcast with your friends. I'd really love to hear from you. So until next week, remember, much more is possible for you than you think. Thank you.